You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. Welcome to the Roof English podcast. My name's Darren Adam. Thank you as ever for your company. I've come to an incredibly important part of Iceland today, and we're going to find out if you don't already know why Thingvellir National Park is so very important. This has been a significant site for about a thousand years. And we'll get into the reasons for that. I'm joined today by Torvi, who is an interpretive guide here at Thingvetlir National Park. And Torvi, the first time I came here was 1998. There was much less in terms of facilities. We can talk about the the visitor center that's now here and all the visitors that you get. But fundamentally, this site is about the history. It's about what happened here a thousand years ago, isn't it? Oh yeah, when the national park was established in 1930, it was done in the 1000 year anniversary of the Althingi or the parliament. And it was mainly for historical reasons, due to the historical importance. And as this was the birthplace, we can say the birthplace of the nation or the country. Yeah. Um, because the 930, the assembly Althing was established here. And this is also one of the main reasons uh, think that it became part of UNESCO in 2004. That is the cultural significance of Thingvellir for Iceland. And also its connection to the Icelandic culture and saga. Uh, that all come more or less together here at Thingvellir. And these are all the reasons this is a national park and a protected area. But then alongside it comes a beautiful nature. Yes. yes. And then the, we can say the natural venue that combines here and gives this kind of amphitheater for yeah. people that used as an assembly site. Well, the view is spectacular. We'll get into that as part of the conversation. But the significance here is that we're standing on or very close to the site of the world's longest continuously operating parliament, essentially. Obviously, the Icelandic parliament, the Althingi, is now uh, physically located in central Reykjavik. But the significance of this is that you can trace that parliament all the way back to the law-making and the decisions that took place here a thousand years ago. Yeah, and and the, the knowledge that we have of the old parliament comes both from the Graukaus, the old law book, and also, well... Even though the Icelandic sagas are written 200 years after the events, they give still some, well, evidence of how it might have operated. But what we have been trying to describe is that this was not a unique kind of phenomenon. This was a part of a trend that was the, those settlers who came here from Europe and the British Islands, they brought with them this tradition of assembly. So we have a connection to assemblies all over, we can say, Northern Europe and Scandinavia. And that, I think, actually increases the significance of Thingvellir as a connection to other assemblies, both in, well, Europe, also in other minor assemblies that were uh, distributed all over the country. But to have, to decide to have one central assembly for one country is, uh, you can say, a major phenomenon and uh, actually a decision that they had to make and also sacrifices to come here every summer for two weeks at a time. Now... This wasn't a democratic parliament, but very few parliaments were a thousand years ago. How were the lawmakers selected? Uh, we know some of it, some we don't, but it seems to be that they decide to have one central parliament and probably the families that decided on it and, and came together, they then, what they had, who, who sat in the 
law institution, the Lögrétta, the law court, they were called Goðar. They were 36 to begin with, and later on they became 48. And you were able to become a Goði, either you bought the right, someone gave it to you, or you inherited it. And this is probably how it evolved through, that, through time. And you were actually able to have more rights. You were able to have two Goðars or, or, or three or even more. And that just happened in the 13th century. Then we have few chieftains with more rights. We can see how the power balance shifts with devastating results in the 13th century. An incredibly lengthy history, of course, to discuss as we stand here in 2023. But you really can feel that connection to the events that took place, the laws that were made, the discussions that took place a millennia ago. And we're looking, as you said, over this amazing vista. We're just on the edge of the lake off to the right, which is vast and, and beautiful. And off to the left, you can see planes off to the left. Yes. Yeah. So what we have, what, what the pro, one of the problem was, so think that there is a site on UNESCO as an intangible site because we cannot see often the remains because this was almost a temporary assembly. People brought everything with them took everything back and what is now on the plains below uh, there are the main archaeological site uh, the old booth site uh, which stretches from we can say the end of the of the lake and all the way up north probably all the way up to Oxenfos and that used to be covered with tents and booths and and probably up to 4,000 people attended here every summer and then went again but yeah think what it is means basically assembly plates and that is due to the a great location here is both the raw rock itself with the slope and the plains below where you have, have some place for people to be and gather up. There is a photo that springs to mind. It's in my mind's eye at the moment that I've seen from, I think, the last, well, the last century, presumably. Did not the main road used to go through here? I've got a picture in my head of a car making its way through basically a, a path between two giant rocks through through Thingvetlir. Yeah, I think that's maybe if we maybe continue our walk a little bit, then we get on the road. We also get also shelter from the wind. Yes. But uh, so if we just continue our path right there, and then we will get to the to the where people used to drive until yeah. 1968. 68. Okay. Now you mentioned the wind; it is a bit windy, but you have here with the visitor center created just enough infrastructure to make it possible for people to walk around safely. It's not intrusive. Yeah, and as you mentioned, you came here in 98, and in 98 there was nothing going nothing, here. Nothing, nothing. Nothing here about Hagit. And that has changed quite a bit now in the in the last, we can say, 20 years, because now we are getting approximately, we got last year 1 million visitors to Thinkwit National Park. We are expecting 1.5 million visitors uh, this year. Just to the park, because I think the total, we're going around to the right here, aren't we? I think the total number of visitors expected in all of Iceland is, is two and a half, three million. So you're getting half of them coming here? Yeah, we get approximately 60-70%, depends on okay. who you ask, actually. <laughs> but the, well, I'll ask you. <laughs> yeah, that, that come to that come to think with it. And uh, we have some counters, uh, path counters, so we have, that gives us a hint of how many are actually walking down in Almanagia, the path that we are walking down. Mm. And we have other places we are counting yeah, people that are visiting us we also actually also counting people that are using our toilets that's you okay. get to know <laughs> <laughs> know the amount that we are we are we are trying to take the step to be a one step ahead ahead of the coming wave yes. we can say yes and where we are he heading now down in almanagia as you mentioned you were able to drive down here and this is a 
view that many have of the older Icelanders they yeah. mentioned, and they had this idea and memory of driving down and how spectacular it was. But that was spent in 68. Yeah. Then, and this is like driving through a canyon because there are massive rocks on either side. You could just about get a car down here, but it wouldn't be the most comfortable of drives. Oh, no, definitely. And this is also the one of the first roads in Iceland probably every winter to get uh, full yeah. of snow. So, yeah. And this is, that is another challenge for us, and that is to keep this path open year-round. We try to clear. This is one of the main paths that we try to keep clear the year-round in every weather, <laughs> in every condition. And that is uh, put some strain on the infrastructure, but we have been managed, we have been able to do so still. How far are we from the, the law rock where the speaker would, would assemble the lawmakers? From here, we're approximately, from here, we're approximately five, six minutes walk just to the flagpole, the Icelandic okay. flag. Let's straight ahead there. Straight All right, let's make our way there. Yeah. Right, well, we've made our way now to the Icelandic flag, which overlooks a series of steps, a raised platform with another fantastic view. And this, Todvi, is, this is where the assembly would have been. Yeah, this is the law rock or Lögberg, the, the heart of the assembly. And uh, there were kind of two institutions. One is the law, uh, uh, law court or the, uh, the Lögretta, where the chieftain sat and decided on the laws together. They then voted for a law speaker who would go up on the law rock uh, he was chosen for three years uh, or three summers, and he would recite one third of the law each each summer. So he had to memorize all the laws up on, and and yell them out. He had to have a good voice at least. It will echo, echo around in this area, even though it is kind of an amphitheater. It's still you have to have a good voice and a good memory both together. And this also, when if you had a dispute, if you had a legal case that you were going to perform here at at, uh, at uh, Thingvelli, you had to go up to the law rock. There you will describe the case, your disputes with your neighbor or, or your enemy, and so everyone ha was able to hear out. From there, from from the Lögberg, it will then go to courts at the site, will be probably situated down at the down at the plains below. First court, uh, called Fjordungstomur, and from there, if you're not happy about the result, you were able to appeal to Fjordungstomur. So Thingvelli or the Althing held on two governmental powers. That was the judicial power and the legislative power. But it lacked the, uh, the third one, the executive one. While we're here, this isn't just as a site, as we say about the politics and the history, or even the, the natural beauty. There is a lot of geology going on here that people come to see and experience as well, isn't there? Yeah, that is what we can say people see. They can enjoy the warmth of Palmanacau with so clearly the westernmost end of the North American tectonic plate, and then when they look onward seven kilometers further east to the mountains, which are kind of closing off the Rift Valley, that is the beginning of the next tectonic plate with some micro tectonic plate that comes over there, and they are drifting apart and forming a Rift Valley, which is subsiding down and stretching. So, so geologically, then we're on the edge of North America and Europe here. Yes, we are. We are. We can kind of say that that we are. And this is constantly changing the site, and also, as I mentioned before, has kind of formed this great venue for for those who decided to have a assembly site right right here. And this is what we can say catches the eye of the visitors. But we are trying to perform and interpret uh, the history that is well, can say kind of lost or or forgotten or harder to see due to. It is a uh, time in the, in the past. Well, let's head back to the visitor center because that is what's new here. That's what has 
changed just in the last 20, 25 years and the efforts that you make, the very successful efforts you make to bring that history to life. You can hear it's getting a bit windy here as well. So let's head back to the visitor centre and, and talk about that. So how new is all of this, the visitor centre that we're standing in, which they say is done very sympathetically with the environment. It doesn't get in the way. It adds to the experience. How long has this been here? This has been here since 2018. So we went into a cooperation with a company called Kakarin, which did all, you can say, the, the magic, the experience magic. We mm. put in the information and the text. It was a great cooperation. And in a limited space, we tried to capture the thousand-year history, uh, the cultural history of, of Iceland, and also put in the nature, the, the live in the lake uh, and around the lake, and also this, uh, we can say, geology that is performing and yes. forming the, the site. Now, up on the Law Rock, we, we left the story just as Norway was entering the picture. So the potted history from then, I guess, we, we can see some of it here. That takes us up to about when? Norway takes over in 1262, and we actually have one, uh, one scene that is focused especially on, we can say, foreign rule over Iceland. Okay. There's a nice, uh, we can say, just a screen, which we have a timeline where mm -hmm. we can just see how Iceland went under Norway and from Norway under Denmark and then eventually in 1944 when we yeah. break out of that union. And, and what's interesting, if you go back far enough here, you can see, if I'm reading this correctly, Norway at this point, including Orkney and Shetland yeah. and the Faroe Islands, yeah. now, now still part of the Danish crown, Orkney and Shetland part of the UK, Iceland independent. So roll the, uh, the dial and we can see some of the changes in history. We can see the Orkney and the Shetlands, how they, they kind of uh, lose their dominion over that area in the, in the 14th century. And what had a devastating effect in Norway was the, the Black Plague, which all were, I think helped the, the national population in, in that plague. And then it goes on in a union with Denmark in the, in the 14th century, end of the 14th century, and remains part of Denmark. And for some part time also Sweden is is in the Kalmar Union with, with Denmark and Norway. But Norway goes from the Denmark Union in 1815. And that is part of, we can say, the deal during due to the end of the Napoleonic Wars. Norway went under then to Sweden. And then in 1905, 6, 7, got independence for Sweden. But we yeah got independence in 44, and that was signed and settled on it here, I think, with the Atlöberg, where we just stood. Mm, mm. But Faroe Islands and Greenland remain in the union with, with the Danish, Danish yes. throne. So at which point then did the legislature move from where we're standing now at Thingvetlir to either its new location or somewhere in Reykjavik? Uh, yeah, so it, the last meeting held here was 1798. Uh, and then they held one meeting in, in Reykjavik in 1799. But at that time, we can say that just the fashion of having this kind of assembly was outdated there was a, there was a new tradition new fashion in governance taking uh, this place so they abolished they kind of abolished althingi it was put down uh, but it was then resurrected 45 50 years later and then it was decided to have it in Reykjavik because mm -hmm. Reykjavik had all the infrastructure yeah. uh, there they had the library and some buildings while that all lacked in in Thingvellir. but that is also kind of a blessing due to if they had moved the parliament to think with it again, then they had, would have to make some infrastructure with no. the buildings. That would have damaged the site. It would have damaged the site. It's hard to imagine 
the infrastructure of a national capital here. I mean, I, I, Iceland, of course, wasn't independent, but think that it was effectively the capital of Iceland for, for so many of those years. Hard to imagine, as you say, building a sort of Canberra or Brasilia-style capital here. Yeah, yeah, that was a, as late as until 1928, if I remember. There was a discussion at Althingi then in Reykjavik yeah. to move the Althingi to Thingvellir. And in those, in those discussions, they had all the buildings ready. They were going to build a parliament building, a library, a uh, building for parliament members to sleep in, a printing, mach- uh, uh, printing factory and everything. So it, was, it will have completely transformed the site. So yes. luckily that was put in a committee yes. that slapped on, this, on, on, on that bill and nothing happened. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons that you don't want to do that, I suppose, is to keep the, the, the natural beauty of this place intact and some of those geological features which are attractive as well which brings us to as we move through the exhibition here what am i about to stand on or or i'm going to stand on something here what is this yeah, so when you stand when you step on this uh, then what will kind of appear is a three and a half minute long interactive video which explains the geology of iceland and think with in this limited time, we're trying to face, you're trying to pressure 50 million years <laughs> in three minutes. And before I step on this, the line that I'm straddling here, is this the, as far as we can tell, is this the, 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 the line between those two plates? Uh, yeah, this is a representative, we can say, a kind of representative rift, one of the many rifts, and this is the, it is representing the movement in the last 100 years. Okay, so if I stand on this, my legs aren't going to be pulled apart or anything? Like Hopefully not. Okay, let's, let's <laughs> see what happens. You can see on one of the maps here that the North American plate and the Eurasian plate, as you were saying, that barrier or that border between them goes right through where we're standing, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And then uh, there is a one microtectonic plate that actually comes in between. That is called Trapaflake in Icelandic, but uh, in con- it is usually following the Eurasian tectonic plate. And this is sometimes what I say, uh, the geologist made my job a little bit harder <laughs> because I had to suddenly uh, have a new small tectonic plate to, to <laughs> explain to everyone. But of course, in, in the big picture, we can say the North American and the Eurasian tectonic plate, they are drifting apart here and forming this rift valley. How much drift is taking place each year, do we know? Uh, the average is about one up to three millimeters per year. But then the, one of the problem is the average is a, is a measurement from us that we try to put on nature and the nature doesn't work no, on average. No, so sometimes no. nothing is happening for years and then suddenly you have a row of earthquakes and then you can just have a drift for a couple of millimeters up to the most devastating one in 1789. And then you had a drop in the Rift Valley for two and a half meter in just 10 days. So is there volcanic activity in this area? Uh, no, not here in the north, I say now. <laughs> no, no, actually, but not in the north. The last major uh, volcanic activity was approximately 8,000 years ago up here, 8, 10,000 years ago in, in Mountain Skjaldbreiður. But then in the south part, where Mountain Hengil is, uh, and Esavellir, there we still have activity. The, the last eruption was 2,000 years ago, so technically it's still active which can have a devastating effect because most of the hot water that runs in Reykjavik comes from that area. I mean, do we know if any of the sessions of the parliament were disrupted by geothermal activity or earthquakes or or tremors? Uh, Probably, well, 
no one that we know of, but, but we do know what, well, what is described in the Christianity sagas is when they were quarreling about Christianity here uh, and, and heathen religion, uh, there was a, there was a volcanic activity in a little bit further south, about uh, 40 kilometers south of Thingvellir, and there came a news, a news to the uh, assembly, to the Althing, of this active activity, and then some of the heathen chieftain said, now you see the gods are angry. You're trying to pressure this new religion on this. Yes. And But they were answered about what were the gods angry about when the lava that you're now standing on uh, ran. So they had some, they knew that gods had, uh, God, gods had nothing to do with yes. running lava. Yes. But there was nothing happening here at the site due to that, uh, probably not at least. But the, uh, though the thought of this earthquake scene that happened in 1789 probably affected the assembly site and transformed it due to that then the planes subsided down for two two and a half meter and that uh, might have affected both how you got to the site and also the site itself of the visitors that you have here and you 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 told me earlier on that you get something like 60 or 70 percent of all the tourists that come to iceland which is a huge number how many are here for the history how many are here for the geography and do you get people that come for one and are surprised to find that there's the other as well yeah i think i think the majority the uh, the big majority is is focusing on the geology and they, they want to see really? Alm- yeah yeah and they, uh, and they want to visit almanagel they want to ha- some have just a you can say what is it um bucket lists they're gonna yeah. check on yeah. and, and almanagel is one of it uh, but then they experience uh, the site itself. They also some know about the history. They they want to they want to see where the thing used to be. But then we have to tell them, well, you can't see what you see is kind of just the plains and you see the low rock, but you don't you are not able to experience or seeing you don't see any building. Yeah. They often want to see some building, but but there is no no one here. The first thing that springs to mind is that we're what, seven years away from the 1100th anniversary in 2030? Maybe not as significant uh, an anniversary as 1000, but significant enough, I'd say. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, that is something that we are not yet starting to focus on, but it is in the back of our minds that there are just seven years. Yeah. And that is, I think it's almost the same time as people are starting to discuss the, the thousand-year anniversary and how to plan for it. And because the 1930 festival was quite well planned even it was a typical iceland almost typical icelandic planning no planning at all until <laughs> until two years before they put every effort into it yes, into it yeah. and it was quite uh, well organized and about thirty thousand people attended to that that festival and yes. what we have uh, here so we have so we have this interactive exhibition but then in a temporary exhibition hall mm. we often mm. put up uh, one of our exhibitions about how Thingvelli became a national park, which is a story that started in 1907 and finalized in 1930. Some of the photos are remarkable. This one here that I'm standing in front of is the celebration of the millennium that we mentioned in 1930. And (laughs) what occurs to me here is that if Iceland does win the Eurovision Song Contest, a big question that Icelanders ask of ourselves is, 
where on earth are we going to have the space to hold it? Well, there's your answer right there, because what, 30,000 people, did you say that? Yeah, 30,000, yes, yeah. so we can just have it right here. <laughs> just yeah, it here. yeah, so we already have it. I'm going to put that in uh, to my director of the National <laughs> Park, and he surely will appreciate it. Well, you heard it here first, then, on the Roof English podcast, I think it's fair to say. So it's interesting that thinking is already taking place for what is going to be quite the national party in 2030, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, that is going to be something. And we probably... That is going to be some planning to do because what in 1930 we were just focused on Icelanders, but probably in, if we stay on tourist track, then we also have to take in in uh, our calcula- calculation about what to do with all the guests that are also yeah. always yeah. attending Thingvellir. Well, but, there was one one estimate I read that Iceland's on track to by the end of the decade, by 2030, be welcoming between five and six million tourists a year, which is roughly twice where we are now. That's a huge number of people. That is a huge number of people. And this is uh, one thing that we are always thinking about in the National Park is how do we plan for this and how do, I, how do we direct? And where, where, is our, where is our kind of final line? And mm. what we can say is the main threshold is the parking lots. And, yeah. and we are not going to... We have built up several parking lots here. We have about 70 restrooms here, toilets in the, in the, in the National Park. And we are con- probably... We are at the end of our almost at the end of our what we're going to build in the national park we are going to extend some of the national uh, parking lots up here mm-hmm. up on almanigao because we don't want to affect the site itself yeah which is already surrounded by parking lots but in the big picture we are going to move those parking lots up on uh, over almanigao so they're not going to be uh, have any visual effect on yeah, yeah. on the guys yeah. Or, or the, the whispers. Well, you, you've just reminded me. I've got to register my car park, my car registration number here as well, which is something that visitors have to do now. Of course, they there is a, a, a modest charge, I think, for parking here, isn't there? Uh, yeah, there is about there is a simple service fee charge that we have because that is the national park is run mainly on service fee that we get from parking lot, from camping, and other other kinds of fees. Uh, and then we have, of course, something from from the state, but. Think with it is kind of the the bubble. We just feel the tourists coming in, and we expand with the parking lot fee, and then we have to be ready to, if there is a, uh, we can say if the if the bubble bursts and there are fewer tourists, we will have to be ready to to downgrade again. It's worth saying as well that obviously we're in the visitor centre here just now, but it's not I mean, you want people to come here into it, but it's not compulsory. If you visit Think that their national park, you don't have to come in here. People can visit the park at any time and I guess during the the very late nights and the bright nights that we have in the summer people are going to be wandering around 24 hours a day yeah the park is always open even though our visitor service fee is closed and as you mentioned you can you can enjoy the exhibition center open from nine to five but if you don't want there is a good weather which happened once or two mm-hmm. two days in, in the summer in, in in this area but then just stay outside and my favorite hours in think with the national park is either during the night the, the late summer mm-hmm. bright summer mm-hmm. nights or the early early morning five six in the morning it's usually really still. There's no one here except you. Maybe some fishermen angling at the, at the, by the lake. But then you hear the birds waking up yeah. and, and the nature kind of welcome you. And do Icelanders come here to learn more about their own history and to enjoy the park as well? Yeah, now we are entering kind of the, the, the springtime and we get kind of, I'm not going to say crowded, because we welcome all the school groups. Uh, elementary school groups arrive now in in May and until end of uh, well until middle of June, uh, 
we get about uh, what can I say 30 40 school groups mm -hmm. every every spring and also some in the autumn but the, so that is part of kind of say the curriculum uh, I learn about the history of Iceland and also to visit Thingvellir uh, and then also Icelanders come here both to visit we can say this is the heart of the assembly but they often use the national park a little bit differently from the one-time visitors because they often tend to go on a walking path inside into the middle of the Rift Valley into the old farms that used to be situated in the center of the of the Rift Valley up uh, hiking up a Mount Armasvell mm -hmm. riding tours or as I mentioned before angling and so this is kind of different usage of the national park which is just also great well, listen, thank you so much for your hospitality today, Torvi, and your expertise as well. It's been fascinating to come back and, and see this place once again. It's been a while since I've been to think that there, as I say, the first time we were here was 1998 when none of this was here. But that sense of history and the sense of importance of this site to the nation is still very, very much at the, the fore of what you do. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much, also. This is the Ruve English Podcast. I'm Darren Adam. You can get in touch with us anytime. English at ruv.is. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook as well. You are listening to the Ruve English Podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is English.